Well, we're going to be jumping into our uh, last sermon in our Planted series where we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. We've been talking about different rhythms and things that need to be a part of the life of a Christian if they are wanting to grow deep roots in their relationship and their faith with Jesus. And uh, the, the passage that we used to kind of set up and to frame this sermon series was Psalm chapter 1. And it's talking about the person who plants themselves next to a river, their, their, their tree, their roots grow deep and they grow fruit. And this is a, a picture of a person who plants themselves in the presence of God and plants themselves in a consistent fellowship with God. Their roots grow deep um, and they bear fruit and they do good works. And so we've been talking about for the last two months, different spiritual disciplines. And we are ending that series tonight with talking about the spiritual discipline of fellowship. We're talking about fellowship. So um, I want to start off by, by saying this. No one likes to be alone, right? If just if we were to raise our hands, if this is a true statement for you, no one likes to be alone. No matter how much you try to convince yourself, no matter how much you try to convince others, you long for friendship and connection deep down in your heart and in your soul. Uh, when you receive an invite uh, via text message or a DM or on paper, I don't know if you guys still do invitations on paper these days, um, <laughs> but if you get an invitation to go to a birthday party or a barbecue or an event or whatever it is, the same question goes through all of our minds. The question is this, who's going to be there? It's the first thing that pops into our head most likely. We might text our friends to see um, if they are going to be there, or maybe we decide to go even if we don't know if they're going to be there. And what do we do when we get there? We, uh, one, we don't get there on time. We do what? We get there a few minutes late, so just in case other people are late, we're not awkwardly standing there by ourselves, right? This is what we do. It's just we're human beings. It's just what happens. And so when we show up late, uh, we, we walk into the door, we walk into the backyard, whatever it is, and we do what? We scan the crowd. We try to determine um, if the people that are there are our friends, are they in our friend group, and if we don't see anyone, what do we do? We do two things. Most likely, we either jump on our phone to make us look like we're busy and we um, don't feel the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness of being alone, or we do the second thing, we go to the bathroom, because then that gives us a few extra minutes, even if we don't have to go to the bathroom, uh, maybe this is what you did today when you showed up for youth group, you're like, all right, they're not here, ah, oh, cool, yeah, oh, yeah, you're right, I should have done my, you know, like you just, we do all of these different things because Deep down, we don't like to feel alone. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, often, uh, other times in our lives, we may feel anxious. We might feel depressed, heartbroken, or confused. And instead of reaching out to someone to process what we're feeling and what we're experiencing, we isolate ourselves. Even though deep down, we don't want to be alone. Even though deep down, we want to talk to different people about this, oftentimes we isolate ourselves. And ever since um, creation, God has wired us for connection. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Adam was in perfect unity with God. 
in the Garden of Eden. And yet God said this in verse 18. He says, it was not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And we could preach like 10 sermons just about that verse. But the point I'm trying to make is, is um, <laughs> yes, what is a suitable helper? Anyways, um, the thing is, is like God, Adam was in perfect unity with God. And yet God still said he needs somebody to be with him. Being together is part of how we, were, we are wired as human beings. Even before sin entered the world, we needed each other. So we're going to be wrapping up, like I said, our Spiritual Disciplines teaching series by talking about fellowship. And our English word fellowship is from the translation of the Greek word koinonia. I want to read you a couple quotes in relation to this. Bob Gilliam, he said, From the usage of the word, we can conclude that fellowship is a word denoting a relationship that is dependent on more than one individual. It is an interdependent relationship. He would go on to say this, Koinonia is used 19 times in the New Testament, and in addition to being translated as fellowship, it is also translated by the words contribution, sharing, and participation. A close study of the usage of this word shows that action is always included in its meaning. Fellowship, you see, is not just being together, it is doing together. This is a point almost universally ignored by Christian groups today. So the text that we're going to be rooted in for this teaching is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and Acts chapter 2. So if you have a paper Bible, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, it's, it's really, really far to the right side of your Bible. Um, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. If you're using a paper one, you'll be able to find Hebrews chapter 10 and Acts chapter 2. If you're using your phone, uh, on the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to the home screen, bottom right-hand corner. It says more and tap more and then go to events and you will see Bethel Youth, the event populated. Make sure to save that so that you can um, access these notes past tonight. And there's a couple of resources. There, I'm going to uh, reference a study um, that in my sermon tonight. And that study is linked in there as well as um, this book right here, Analog Church. Um, so a lot of concepts that we're going to be addressing today is addressed um, in a lot of depth um, in this book. I highly encourage it. I want to give this book away to someone tonight. I haven't determined how I'm going to do that, but um, we'll get into it. It has to be a person that's actually going to read the book, and it's not just going to sit on their bookshelf. So uh, I'm going to talk, we'll get into that later. Um, so I want to give you just a really brief context of, of the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Uh, most scholars believe it was a person who was in close relationship with the uh, 12 disciples, um, given just some of the things that he writes in chapter 2. Um, we also don't know who the audience of Hebrews is, but given uh, what the writer speaks of, uh, it's many things related to the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. And so we think that this is a Jewish Christian audience. And so with that being said, let's stand together as Madison comes. She is going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur on, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Awesome. Thanks, Madison. This is the word of the Lord. 
So if you were to summarize this, read it a few times, underline the important things that stand out to you, I believe that this is kind of the main thought of this passage. Uh, Christians must be in fellowship with one another while encouraging, loving, and spurring one another to do good deeds. So right before this passage, the writer compares and contrasts the animal sacrifices made daily and yearly to atone for their sin against God. He explains how Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was their final payment for sin if they repent and believe. And from what is written, meeting together is a critical component um, in the equation as Christians that we just read in verses 24 and 25. So if you were to uber simplify what is being said, the simple translation is go to church. If you were just to put in three words, verses 24 and 25, it's very simple. Go to church. It's simple enough. It's so simple. But why were these Christians being instructed to go to church? Why, it says, as don't neglect to meet together as some of you are in the habit of doing. So why were some of them not participating in the local church? The short answer is this. They were being persecuted. They were being persecuted harshly. By reading this letter, you will gather um, that the church was being persecuted harshly. The writer of Hebrews spent much time encouraging them to continue and to press forward in their faith in Jesus. And the pressing ahead is what marked their true faith in Jesus. And the assembling of the believers was part of what set them apart from others. But, but in that fellowship, they were being arrested. They were Prison sentences were given out. Jobs were lost. Properties were seized. And this persecution was causing some of these believers to question their faith and whether or not following Jesus was actually worth it. Some were contemplating leaving the faith because of the pressure that they were facing. We have no idea what this means, do we? We have no idea what it means to to go to church with the risk of being arrested. It's for, for us losing our job, losing our livelihood. We don't live in that sort of climate in our society. We're free to attend church and to worship together. And as Christians, we can share our beliefs with other people. This is still true today, no matter what our current climate is in our culture. So the question that comes from this text is, why do we neglect to gather together as the church if we aren't being persecuted for it? So why do we not gather as the church when we aren't being persecuted? It's an an interesting question to ask. There's a study that was done by a research company called Pew Research. And they they did this study about church attendance. And of the people that were uh, surveyed, 28% of people surveyed did not attend any religious service or church because they were unbelievers. So they weren't Christians, didn't believe in God. So 28% of them said, that's the reason why we don't attend. 46% of practicing Christians in this study said they don't regularly attend church because they practice faith in other ways. So in this study, 46% of the people that said, I'm a Christian and I actively pursue my relationship with Jesus, 46% of them said, I don't attend church. 
And the other ways that they worship might include something like this. Maybe they listen to a sermon on a podcast. They um, maybe watch a gathering from a church from somewhere. Maybe they worship through music on their own through Spotify or YouTube. Maybe um, they just watch the gathering um, online from the church that they attend or another church. Um, Maybe what they're talking about is I, I study my Bible on my own. I don't need to come to a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Or maybe it's this, I feel like church is boring. Maybe you've asked, maybe you've said that. Maybe you said youth group is boring and I don't want to go. And reading these responses makes you think, how would I respond to the same question? If someone were to ask me, why do you attend church or why do you not attend church? Why, what would our answer be? Interestingly enough, these answers that I gave you aren't really that all that outlandish. Like, I don't think they're far out. I think these reasons are compelling and honestly a cause for temptation because sitting at home in your pajamas or whatever you sleep in and watching a sermon on YouTube sounds way more comfortable than actually showering, getting dressed, driving to a building and sitting a part of in a gathering and all those different things. It sounds so much easier and so much more comfortable, doesn't it? Okay, it it doesn't sound any more comfortable. Awesome, well, you guys are here, so that's perfect. Um, But here's the deal, though. 46% of people who profess to be a Christian don't feel the need to attend church regularly. And personally, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Personally, I feel like that's a problem. Something I wonder is if the root of these reasons for not being connected to a church is because of selfishness. And what I mean by that is those reasons people gave focus on what I want, what the church can give to me, what can I get from the church, and, and I am the most important thing. I am the priority. Here's a, here's a quick disclaimer, though. Finding a church that you click with, um, finding your church community that you, the, the people um, you click with, enjoying the style of music, and the church has sound biblical teaching, those are important things. Those are all things that we strive to do as a church. But at the same time, those things can actually become idols in our life. There will never be a church that picks the perfect song every time. I have to remind myself of that. Or preaches the text perfectly. I have to remind myself of that. Maybe they preach the text differently than how you would teach it. Or what you feel like should be done in a church or in a youth group. Like those are important things, but those can become idols in our life. Because there's no perfect church because there are no perfect people. So if coming to church is not just about receiving the right content, what is the gathered church for? Um, In the New Testament, the Greek word ekklesia is often translated as church. In English, the word ecclesia is used over 100 times in the New Testament. And looking at the ways that this word ecclesia is used within Scripture, you can define the church as the body of Christ gathering together to learn and live the way of Jesus together. Excuse me, grow in their knowledge of the word and grow in community with one another. And something interesting about the church in the New Testament when it's referenced, many times the text references the early church as doing things, saying like what people are to do when they gather, like how they are to love one another, how they are to bear one another's burdens, how they are to teach and to challenge one another, how they are to confess sin to one another, what we talked about last week. 
And these are all things that require a believer to be in proximity to one another and not be separated. And these are all things that can only be accomplished through physically being together. Now, yes, don't get me wrong. Yes, you can talk and you can have a friendship with someone and not be in person. Let me illustrate it this way. Whenever we talk about the fellowship and the gathered church, the statement is, this, this statement is consistently made. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Maybe you've made that, that, say, that statement before. And um, sometimes it's asked within a question, but, the, but usually this topic of not going to church and being a Christian comes up. I heard one pastor in a sermon put it this way. He says, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, but technically I also don't need to live in the same house as my wife to be married, which is completely true. I could buy another house, I could buy an RV and move out to the woods and technically I would still be married to Megan. But here's the deal. The longer I stay away, the more fragile and distant my marriage relationship will become. The gathering of the believers, what we are doing tonight, what we are doing at the dudes camp out, what we are doing at the girls um, hangout a couple weeks ago, at the middle school video game night, what we are doing is we are participating and acting as a family. And in Acts chapter 2, Luke describes what the early church did when they gathered. Let's read it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the main point is this, the church is to gather, learn, grow, and live selflessly. That is the purpose of, of what we are to do as the church. We are to gather, we are to learn, we are to grow, and we are to live selflessly. And the writer of Acts recalls what happened in the church in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. I don't know if you caught it. it was, um, this is what was happening after the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples to stay in Jerusalem, to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they gathered together. They were seeking the Lord through prayer and being together and um, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them and these people began speaking in other languages. And the reason that this is significant is because um, at this time, there were people from all other nations that were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. We won't get into the details of Passover, but um, what, what Passover was, was to celebrate God's, God freeing them and his provision when they were slaves in Egypt. Egypt. And so these, all of these different people, they spoke these different languages. And when the Holy Spirit came upon these people, these people were speaking in these other languages. And these were the languages that these people understood. And they were like, what is going on here? And it says in chapter 2, verse 41, that about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Because the gospel was preached and people responded, repented of their sins. And at what we just read in Acts 
Acts chapter 2 was after that. So we have 3,000 people getting saved, and what did they begin to do? They met together. They lived selflessly. They gave resources. They gave money to one another so that no one would be in need. So these, these new believers didn't just leave and call it good. And something remarkable happened in this local church. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the Lord's Supper, to prayer. They didn't hold their material possessions, but gave to those in need. They gathered in their homes to eat meals and with all with glad and sincere hearts. Friends, I want to be a community like this. I want to be a church that is like this. I want to be a youth group that is like this. And, but to accomplish this, we must live selflessly and be people who are concerned with the well-being of others. So to come back to one of our original questions, do I need to go to church to be a Christian? The answer is no. But Christians need the church to truly thrive. Who do you have in your life that is walking beside you in some of the most challenging moments in your life? The times when you're questioning what you believe, when you're questioning the goodness of God, when you're questioning your identity. Who are the people in your life that can listen, pray, and share wisdom with you? Who are the people that you trust with the deepest secrets in your life? And I can guarantee you that those people are not strangers. They're not people that you just happen upon on the street and talk to them. They are people probably that you've lived close to, that you've shared your life with. It's the people who have shown you time and time again that they will be there for you, reminding you of the graciousness of Jesus. Personally, Megan is the main person for me. We've spent many hours just talking and processing the things that we believe, the questions that we have. We've cried together. We feel helpless in finding answers to these questions. But she is a person that has shown me time and time again that I can trust her, and she shows me the truth and wisdom and the graciousness of Jesus. Another person is our network youth director, Zach Cash. If you're going to summer camp, you'll meet him next week. Um, and also close friends of mine, my parents. These are all people that I trust with the deepest parts of myself because I trust them and I know that they will tell me the truth and they will show me the truth. And we've spent time together. So I want to leave you with a big idea before we go into our small groups. Gathering together as the church is essential to the life of a Christian. And I would even go as far as to say not just the life of a Christian, but the health of a Christian. Being plugged in to a church community. So um, I'm not, not going to give this book away quite yet, but this book talks about, um, it kind of uh, talks about the comparing and contrasting digital versus analog and talking about how we are to be in proximity to one another, how we are to be um, in, in relationship and community with one another. So if you want this book, I want you to think about it. And when small groups are over, when my small group is over, please don't come disrupt our small group. Um, I want to give this book to somebody. Like I said, it's someone who's going to read it um, and process it and take it seriously, okay? All right, sounds good. So we're going to go into our small groups. Um, guys are in the back of the room. Girls are in the front. Um, high school is on this side. Middle school is on this side. And your small group leader will dismiss you.